Cool. Um, if you're visiting with us, my name is Jerron. Um, one of the pastors here. Glad you could join us. Um, hope you've met somebody. Hope they've made you feel at home. Um, hope throughout the rest of the morning you meet somebody and make you feel at home. Also, welcome everybody joining us digitally, um, live stream, podcast, uh, whatever it may be. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4 today. Luke chapter 4. We're going to read verses 16 um, to verse 21. Luke 4, 16 to 21. This is a, um, this is the fourth of a five part series that we're calling our DNA series, where twice a year we spend some time talking about vision and values that we have. And, uh, this fall we've been talking about ways that we do ministry together, ways that we grow together. And so today I want to talk about how we, how we reach together. Um, and when I say reach, I mean, uh, spreading the word of Jesus throughout our community, but also being in the community doing um, the same kind of works that Jesus did. So what I want to do this morning is I want to ask and answer the question, why do we reach? Why do we reach? If you've been a part of this church thing, this Jesus thing, you can't spend six months out of church before the pastor starts talking about going out and doing this kind of reaching stuff. So why? Um, why should I reach out to those in my neighborhood? Why should I go to work and reach out to those at my job? Why should I go to school and reach out to those um, in my school? Why should I do it? Um, so that's a question I want to answer today. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. Once you got it, let's stand up and read together. It's been a while since I made y'all stand up, huh? Uh Luke chapter four, starting in verse 16. Um, this is Jesus. He had, this is the beginning of, um, his public ministry in Luke's gospel. He'd just gotten baptized, went out into the wilderness for 40 days, overcame temptation, came back out in the power of the spirit, started doing miracles. And here it is. Luke says, and Jesus came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day on Saturday morning and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want to run through that one more time real quick. Jesus says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's the big idea. Proclaim good news to the poor. And then he describes it in two ways. Here's one description. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and he sent me to proclaim recovering of sight to the blind. And this next line is a summary of what he had just said, to sit at liberty those who are oppressed, and another summary statement, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. They're waiting on Jesus to get up and preach this sermon, and here's his sermon. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Father, we thank you for your word. Speak to us today. We need you here presenting yourself to us, offering yourself to us. And Holy Spirit, help us to receive. Help us to receive Jesus today. Amen. You can, you can have a seat. So I'll, um, I'll give you the answer to the question in the upfront. Um, the question is, why reach? Um, and here's the answer, and I'll spend the next few minutes explaining it. Um, we church, um, the bride of Christ, we reach because we've been married into this kind of lifestyle. Um, 
If you're not a Christian, this doesn't count you. I'm going to invite you later. But those of us who are currently a part of church, who call ourselves the bride of Christ, we have been married into this reaching lifestyle. Um, so I want to start. I want to start. I'll give you my fundamental truth. That's what we'll start off with. Um, this past Wednesday, uh, Chelsea and I, we uh, celebrated three years. Um, yeah, go ahead. Clap for me. I know it's amazing. I'm joking. Don't clap for me. It's only been 36 months. Um, uh, so we celebrated three years and um, it's been a side goal of mine to live 120, which means um, we've got about 96 more years together before we both turn into uh, little precious moment angels and we hold hands as we whiffed away into the arms of our Anglo-Saxon Jesus for eternity. Um, it's going to happen. I'm convinced. I've been praying about it. Um, but I figured we're here, and if we want to get there, we've got to do this marriage thing right. We, we've got we've to do this God's way so that we can know all of God's purposes for our life together. Um, and in the past 36 ye- months, 36 years, um, 30, I'm only 28, 36 months of us trying to live this life together, the one question that came up in marriage counseling, year one, year two, year three, and friends, we're three days into year four, and it's come up, is this question, what does it mean to be one? Four times in the scripture, Countless weddings, marriage is described as the two becoming one flesh. If this is God's meaning for marriage, we've got to know what it means to be one, understand that, live in that, so we can know all that God has for our marriage. And over the past 36 months, every time we've gained a little bit of understanding and and walked in that, we've experienced that much more of what God meant for marriage. Husbands, that's a great question to ask, what it means to be one. Wives, that's a great question to ask, what it means to be one. Couples who are dating and want to get married, that's a great question to ask, what it means to be one. People who are single and want to get married someday, that's a great question to ask, what it means to be one. That's an even better question for the bride of Christ to ask. What's it mean to be one? As Paul in Ephesians 5, he says, yes, the two shall become one flesh, describes people like Jerron and Chelsea, but even more so, the two shall become one flesh, really describes Jesus and his church. And if we're going to live in all that God has for us in our life with Jesus, we've got to ask, get an answer, some understanding, and live in whatever it means to be one with Jesus. So I think I'm going to spend five weeks on this in the spring, but I'll give you an aspect of what oneness means right now. Um, Being one with Jesus means Jesus shares with us. Jesus shares with us when we, the church, are one with him. Um, and let me give you two ways that might play out. Um, in one way, Jesus might share his stuff with us. Um, so I know y'all, y'all watched all the shows on, on all the streaming platforms, hours on Netflix, Hulu, Peacock, Disney plus ESPN plus, uh, CBS, PBS, whatever it may be. You've been watching hours of TV and I know you, I know me. You ain't paid a single dime for that platform on your TV right now, have you? No. Here's your mama. Here's your friend. Somebody else set up an account, paid for that subscription, made it all right, and they let you claim and enjoy that account. They shared their stuff with you. In the same way, Jesus, he lets us claim and enjoy that which is his. 
Paul says, I have a righteousness, not my own. What's that mean? Jesus lived a perfect life before God. Jesus lived a righteous life before God, and he lets us claim that and enjoy that. Um, Jesus, he died a death on a cross. He died death for sin and the law, and he lets us claim that death and enjoy that death. Jesus, he has eternally been the son of God and he lets us claim that identity and enjoy that identity. He shared his stuff with us. Sidebar, some of you, when you're looking for your life definition, you ought to stop looking outside and to the inside and start looking at what Jesus is sharing with you. Um, He's sharing good stuff with you. So on one end, being one with Jesus means he shares this stuff with us. On another end, being one with Jesus means he shares his likeness with us. Um, so I, a few years ago, I went to Philippi in Greece and they told us the story of Philippi. And they said a long time ago, this group of people who were from Rome and Italy, they traveled thousands of miles to Greece. And, and these Roman people who were from Greece and now are from, from Rome and now living in, in Greece, they, they started to set up shop in Philippi and they completely replicated Rome in the middle of Greece. They, they built Roman looking buildings. They, they initiated a Roman kind of government. They lived under the rule of Rome. They spoke the language of Rome. They made a complete replica of Rome inside of Greece. Um, what it means to, for Jesus to share his likeness with us, it means that he sends the spirit that lived in him to live in us and replicate him in us. Uh, right now, the Holy Spirit is replicating Jesus on the inside of you, friends. Jesus, he's sharing his likeness with you. If Tim Chambers, if he's ever done your wedding, you've heard him say, uh, tell, he, you've heard him tell you or tell your spouse to say to one another, with this ring, I give you all that I am and all that I have. And when we come into oneness with Jesus, he looks at us, his church, and he says, I'm giving you all that I am and all that I have. You, I'm giving you my righteous. I'm giving you my peace. I'm giving you my resurrection. I'm giving you my position as a child of God. I'm giving you my love. I'm giving you my hope. I'm giving you all that I am and all that I have. He's sharing with us. So this is the fundamental truth that I'm going to take. Jesus, he's sharing his stuff and he's sharing his likeness. And now let's go to our our, our passage. Um, I'll give you the answer earlier. I more specified when Jesus, he shares his stuff with us. What's his is ours. And more specifically with this text, I want to say that Jesus is calling is our calling. This is why we reach. Jesus' calling is our calling. So so here's what's happening in Luke chapter 4, broadly speaking. Um, Luke, he was a good friend of the Apostle Paul, um, the guy who wrote Romans, 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians, and yada, yada. So, so Luke, he writes the book of Luke and the book of Acts. It's all one book that got separated in half at some point. But this is all one volume, all one book. And what he's doing is he's retelling the life and ministry of Jesus. At this point in Luke chapter 4, narratively speaking, Luke, he's establishing the expectation for who we're going to discover Jesus to be in the next 20 chapters and all through Acts. And this is also what's happening historically. On this Saturday morning sermon that Jesus is preaching that we're about to get into, what he's doing is he's setting expectation for who he'll be for the rest of his life on earth. And if you notice what he's doing, he's, 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 some scholars say this is his announcement of his mission statement. He's announcing his purpose statement. He's, he's announcing what he's been called to do while he's here 
on earth. And if you notice, he didn't go to some vision board and make this up. Jesus didn't ask what my what my giftings were and then decide that, no, he got this calling from Scripture. Um, this specific scripture that he's reading is a prophecy from a man named Isaiah, which was 700 years prior to Jesus. What would happen is God would give Isaiah a prophecy. Isaiah would spend some time making that prophecy into poetry. Then he'd uh, release that out to the public. There's this man named Alec Motier. He agrees with most where he says Isaiah's prophecy is split into three parts. Part one, it's a prophecy about God's king. Part two is a prophecy about God's servant. Part three is a prophecy about God's anointed one. And this passage that we're reading that Jesus reads is in part three. That's about God's anointed one. And when Isaiah, he's describing this anointed one, he's not doing it in the second or third person. He's doing it in the first person. He's speaking for the anointed one, basically saying, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to be. So Isaiah, he puts this out into public and for centuries, people read Isaiah's prophecy and they say, I can't wait till that anointed one comes. So on this Saturday, when Jesus reads this text, everyone in the church has heard that scripture before. They've heard that sermon plenty of times. Whenever they read Isaiah 61, they think to themselves, I can't wait till that anointed one comes. But what they didn't know is that this young brown skinned cat who stood up on the stage this time wasn't telling them this, uh, wasn't reading them this scripture to get them to look forward to someone who would come. He, he, he's reading them this scripture to say, I want you to look forward to who I'm going to be over the next three years and into eternity. So what I want to do is I want to run through what this calling per se um, bullet point, three things, what this looks like, because if Jesus does meet these expectations that he's setting for himself, that means we as his bride share in those expectations and share in that calling. Sound good? So here goes one. Here goes one. This is the main bullet point. This is the heartbeat of this calling. Jesus says the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he sent me to proclaim good news to the poor. The calling is to bring good news to the poor. Now, we've got to be good church people and qualify what it means and what it doesn't mean to be poor. That's just what we do. Um, you look, that was a joke. <laughs> ah, I know it's Labor Day. <laughs> Shout out to everybody on live stream. Y'all are at the lake, not watching the sermon. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> so, 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 so you real quick Greek word study. Poor means someone who doesn't have and need help. That's what it means to be poor. You look from Genesis to Revelation, when God speaks about helping the poor, he's describing those who don't have and need help. Don't have what, Jerron? Need help getting what, Jerron? Yes. It's, it's a holistic don't have and need help. Uh, there's a man named Joel Green. He says the poor who Jesus is good news to, it's those who are materially poor, those who are spiritually poor, those who are societally poor, those who are socioeconomically poor, those who are relationally poor. It's a holistic poor that Jesus is good news to. He's painting a picture of those who don't have and need help getting a loaf of Wonder Bread. To, to fill their stomachs, but also don't have a need help getting the bread that came down from heaven to fill their souls. 
is those who don't have a need help getting Fiji water to satisfy their thirst and those who don't have a need help getting living water to satisfy their souls. This is a holistic group of poor. And Jesus is good news to them all. Listen to me. If Jesus meets these expectations of being good news to all kinds of poor, that means when we as his bride share in that, we have got to reject this lifestyle and this game of putting a false dichotomy between what kind of poor we will and will not be good news to. Because there are some who would say, let's just get out there and preach the gospel and save souls. And who cares if they're hungry? We'll get to that later. Or there's some who say, no, let's 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 give them some food and let's give them a good place in society. And how dare you have an ulterior motive trying to tell them about Jesus on the back end of it? You just take care of their bodies. Listen to me. Jesus says, I'm good news to all of it. Caring about someone's body ain't liberal. It's Jesus. Caring about someone's soul ain't fundamental. It's Jesus. We we are extremely and wholly committed to it all. He says, I'm good news to the poor. Then Jesus, he says, he 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 says, I was chosen for this. That's what he says. He, he has anointed me. God has anointed me. Anointed means appointed, chosen, called to the task. If Jesus meets these expectations of the one chosen by God to be good news to the poor, that means we, his bride, who share in that are also chosen. I'm glad for the nonprofit. I'm glad for the missions organization. I'm glad when the government gets it right. But we cannot walk away from this task of being good news to the poor. We cannot leave this to someone else. No, this is what Jesus was chosen for as a byproduct. We, his church, were chosen for this. Let's applaud the others. Let's partner with the others. Let's learn from the others. But we have got to be in the game. We can't walk away from this. And then Jesus says, I was empowered by this for this. That's why he says the spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus isn't the first one who the spirit of the Lord came on. Uh, You go to Exodus chapter 35 or so, and you'll see the spirit of the Lord came on two men whose name I can't pronounce and empowered them to to construct the tabernacle and teach others to do the same. Flip over to first Samuel, the spirit of the Lord rushed on Saul and empowered him to establish Israel as a nation. Flip over a few more pages to first first Samuel 16 and the spirit of the Lord rushed on David and empowered him to expand Israel as the nation. When the spirit of the Lord comes on someone, he's empowering them for a task. And if Jesus meets these expectations of the one empowered for this, that means we also share in that empowerment. Friends, I know you might not have much going for you, but the spirit of the Lord's on you. I know you feel like you don't have much expertise of what it means to help the poor, whatever the poor may be, but the spirit of the Lord's on you. I know you don't have any confidence, any experience, but the spirit of the Lord's on you. This is the same spirit that walked into an empty creation and pulled continents out of chaotic waters. And he's in you. This is the same spirit that walked up to Mary's empty womb and put God in there. He's in you. This is the same spirit that walked into Jesus' lifeless body in a tomb and put life in there and rose him back up to the seat next to the Father in heaven. There's power on you. And he's empowering you to be good news to the poor. So this is what the calling is, being good news to the poor. 
And then in the next two lines, what Jesus is doing, he's painting a picture of what it looks like to give good news to the poor, to be good news to the poor. The first thing he says, is he says, bringing good news to the poor looks like uh, bringing release to the restricted. That's what he says when he says he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty, that's release. The captives are those who are restricted. Jesus brings release to the restricted. What's that look like? Oh, some of you, you got student loans. You took out some debt, some money. You're in debt. You're restricted right now by the government or that loan agency because you're obligated to pay that debt back. Me too. Some of y'all probably more Christian than me, but sometimes I pray for release. Sometimes I pray that someone will release me from those loans, which means I don't got to I'm not obligated to pay that debt back. When when Jesus, when he brings release to the restricted, what he's doing is he's releasing you from the obligation to pay your sin debt back to God before you can live with him. He says, no, I'll pay that debt. You don't have to pay it anymore. If he meets those expectations, that means you can stop responding to your sin by trying to make it up to God. That means you can stop putting yourself in a five day timeout before you start praying again. That means you can stop reading your Bible and praying to make God happy again. You can do just like the author of Hebrews 10 says, and you can just draw near. Jesus, he released you from that obligation to pay God back. But also released um, to the restricted looks like something else. Um, flip out over Luke 13. And Jesus, he's in uh, church again on another Saturday morning. And he says this woman walks in, old woman, and she's bent over. She can't walk straight. And Jesus looks to her, I remember this in the King James Version, he says, woman, thou art loosed. Um, woman, you are released. And immediately the woman stands up straight. Some of the other religious leaders ask him what he's doing. And he says, ought not this woman, don't, don't miss the statement, who's been bound by Satan, be released? He seems to say that there are times where there are spiritual forces that restrict us in a way that shows up in our lives. And Jesus, he he releases us from the restriction of those spiritual forces. Listen, I know in the West, since we figured out the scientific process, we've grown up from thinking that there are spiritual things happening around us. Let me give you a newsflash. When we established the scientific process, demons and Satan didn't leave the world. They're still here. I'm not saying everything's the devil. I'm not saying everything's an evil spirit. But I'm saying as Westerners, we have got to open ourselves up to the fact that some things are. There are sicknesses. There are thought processes. There are sins. There are societal patterns. There are whole systems that can and are backed by spiritual realities. And here's the good news. You don't have to try to figure out which one is or isn't because Jesus is good news and releases you from that restriction anyways. He brings release to the restricted. But then it also looks like um, healing those who need it. That's why he says he's sent me to proclaim um, recovery of sight to the blind. If you follow Jesus' life, he helped other people than just blind people. So I don't think this is regulated to those who couldn't see. I think this is his way of saying, I heal people who need healing. Uh, what's, what's this, what, what could this look like? Um, John Newton, you might know that name. He 
grew up a long time ago and he um, got uh, one of his first jobs um, working on a slave ship in the um, African slave trade. And he said he was on a slave ship once. And there was a massive storm on the ship that he thought was going to kill him. And he somehow ended up making it out of that storm. And he says um, he interpreted that as God saving his life. So in that moment, he gave himself to Jesus. And he says, from that day forward, two things happened. I had this desire to read the scripture because I knew that was God's word. But I also started seeing these people who I helped steal as people made in the image of God. As his life progresses, he ends up not only growing in knowing God, but he also grows to, to play an influential role in the abolition of slave trade. He looks back over his life and he says, you know what that was? How is amazing grace? How sweet that sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Here it is. I was blind, but now I see. John Newton says, I didn't know who God was. I didn't know how God saw people. I didn't know the truth, but he gave me sight. He gave me understanding. I was blind, but now I see. When Jesus heals those who needs it, he gives you understanding of the truth of who God is, the truth of God's will, and the truth of this world. He heals those who needs it. That's good news to me. So we're living in a time right now where it's kind of hard to know what is and what isn't. All kinds of truth is challenged. Sometimes I don't know what is true and what isn't true. Feels like the ground shaking under me. It feels like I might be abandoned as a blind man in a dark world. But good news, friends, Jesus opens our blind eyes and he gives us the truth. And this isn't just a spiritual healing. I also think this is a legitimate physical healing that Jesus says I bring to people. It's hard to look at the life of Jesus and say he doesn't heal people. Which means if he meets these expectations, we as his bride who also share in this calling, we should be looking for this physical healing that Jesus gives. Uh, and, and I know you can't touch someone and make their arm grow back, but you know what we can do? We can pray to the one who heals. We, we can prioritize this as a community. We can say our Jesus, our husband, the one who's with us, he's a healer. So I know you're sick and I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just going to pray and let's see what happens. That's a hard conversation for some of us to have because some of us have prayed and it never happened while we watched it happen for someone else. Some of us have seen it abused and you've heard things like, well, the reason it didn't get better is because you didn't have enough faith. First, let's just say that's a lie from hell. Let's all breathe. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. I was talking to someone a few years ago. I can't remember who it was. They told me the answer is never no. It's either now or later. God either responds and heals you now. He'll heal you later in life. One thing we do know is he'll heal you in the new creation. The healing's coming at some point. So we keep asking until it happens. We'll ask for a week. We'll ask for a year. We'll ask for a lifetime. Knowing that we're going to see that healing come. And if it doesn't come, we can't heal those who need to be healed. You know what we can do? We can help them still. We can be a friend to them still. We can support them in any way we can still. We can make sure that whatever it is that they're dealing with doesn't isolate them from people, doesn't hinder them from experiencing life with God's people and God's community. We can help them. He says, I heal those who need healing. So here's the expectation Jesus sets for himself in this sermon. He stands up and he says, over these next three years and on into eternity, I want you to know 
Here's who you expect me to be. You expect me to be the one who brings good news. You, you, you expect me to bring release to the restricted and you expect me to heal those who need it. Now, remember, I told you the people in this church, they've heard this sermon before. So, so you can only imagine someone sitting in this row. Let's say it's a lady named Elizabeth and a man named Bartholomew. Elizabeth and Bartholomew are sitting here and they're like, honey, go get the kids. It's going to be a short sermon. We've heard this one before. And as they're packing up, they hear this young cat say, today, that's been fulfilled in your hearing. You know what it's like for someone to talk something or someone up and raise expectations and that thing or person lives up to the hype. You know what it's like to go see a musical or a movie or listen to a song that everyone talked up and then it actually lived up to the hype. You know what it's like to sit across from a person who all these people talked up and then they lived up to the hype. You know what that's like. Here, here, here it is. I, I remember, I remember the one day I'm, I'm sitting across from the table hearing the voices. They, they, they said, your life will never be the same. You'll never go back to what you had before. You won't see the world the same way. You're going to be a new person after Jerron. And so here I am sitting across from the table saying, you better change my life like they said you changed my life. You better be all they said you said you would be. Friends, five minutes later, the same way some of y'all cried tears of joy when you first laid hold, um, laid eyes on your newborn baby. I cried those same tears of joy when I took that first bite of that Popeye's spicy chicken sandwich. They lived up to the hype. I don't know. Like, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, it didn't just live up to the hype. It far exceeded expectations. When I say I cried, that's not a joke. August 2019, I cried at Popeye's on Rangeland. Well, what Jesus is saying when he says today this is fulfilled in your hearing, he's saying before you walk out of this church, before I do another thing, these expectations that I set up for myself, I want you to know I've already lived up to that hype. He's saying, I've already lived up to these expectations. I've already met these expectations, friends, not just then in that moment, but on through eternity. I've read the next 20 chapters of Luke. I've read the next 20 something chapters of Acts. I've lived with my Jesus for about 13 years now. And I can confidently say in his living, in his dying, in his rising and in his coming back, Jesus absolutely lived up to that hype. And his living, he lived up to that hype. He, he was good news to the societally poor when he went to those who were ostracized from God's people, who were kicked out because of their background or their, their status or their gender. And he says, no, I'm going to give you a first class seat in the family of God. He lived up to that hype. And his dying, he was good news to the spiritually poor because Jesus, he saw that debt we were going to die trying to repay. And he says, no, I'm going to die to pay that debt. So now you can live with God freely. He lived up to that height. Not only did he live up to it that way in his death, he took those of us who were bound by death, beat down by Satan and all kinds of spiritual forces. And through death, he put death to death through death. He's putting Satan to death through death. He's putting the powers of darkness to death. He absolutely lived up to that height and his resurrection. He lives up to that height by being good news to the spiritually poor, because when Jesus rose, that means those of us who hope in him for a new life. For life with God, 
for transformation, for peace and joy. We look at that empty tomb that Jesus got out of and we know our hope has not died. He lived up to that hype. And right now in his living, through his body, in his church, he's living up to that hype. I told you throughout history, he's the one that led the way in the abolition of the slave trade, being good news to the poor. He's the one that led the way in establishing hospitals in Rome in the fourth century that have now covered the world. He's the one that led the way in in, in giving a home to wanderers and orphans and widows and all kinds of other poor. He led the way through the church, preaching the gospel to you of healing your broken self. He opened your blind eyes. He gave you understanding. He's the one who made you new. Jesus has absolutely lived up to that hype. He's good news to the poor. That's who he's been for the past 2,000 years. So as he extends himself and says, I give all that I am and all that I have to you, we just say, I'll take it. I'll take it. Some of you, you'd say, "I, I, I feel like I might be in that category of poor, I have this guilt that's weighing down on me. I've got this shame that's weighing down on me. I've got some kind of sickness in my body that's absolutely crushing me. I've got some thought process or thought pattern that's taking me captive. Jesus says, I'll break, give you release. Accept him. We're going to have people here in a few minutes who are over in this corner that would love to pray with you about any of that stuff. Christ Church, he says to us, I give you all that I am and all that I have. He shares his stuff with us. That calling that God gave him, he's sharing it with us. But he's sharing his likeness with us. Right now, the Spirit is replicating that Jesus who's good news to the poor in us. It's just what's happening. Might as well go with it, right? Let's receive that calling. Let's walk in that likeness that he's forming in us by giving ourselves to to telling people about this Jesus who is good news, to doing these works with Jesus that are good news. Um, You can practically do that. We have our REACH team led by Jason and Abigail Vance. You can go to the tour at Water Gardens with them next week. You can go to their prayer meetings, whatever it may be. You can get involved in that, and they'd love to launch you off into that. That's why we do this, as we married into it. Uh, Dr. King, one of my favorite sermons, the night before he died, he said, At some point, we Christians are going to have to figure out how to somehow stand up and say with Jesus that the spirit of the Lord is on me. And he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, uh, proclaim liberty to the captives, to the recovering of the sight to blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the years of the Lord's favor. You know how we're going to do that? We're going to receive that. He's sharing that calling with us. That's how we're going to do that.